As parents, we naturally want to protect our kids from destructive influences in the world around them. And with the evolution of technology, many of those threats are as close as their smartphone. That's especially true when it comes to the problem of pornography. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. You know, of all the things we have to deal with in our families, the issue of pornography might be among the most difficult. Talking about it can be uncomfortable, to say the least. And if we discover that we've got a tween or a teen who's struggling with porn, we might not be sure what to do or how to respond. It can be deeply discouraging and disorienting. So this week on The Plugged In Show, Focus on the Family Vice President of Parenting, Dr. Danny Huerta, joins Jonathan McKee and I to talk about this important issue. We'll offer some concrete guidance and encouragement on how to protect your family from pornography and how to deal with it if porn has become an issue. In our second segment, we'll pivot pretty mightily in a different direction (laughs) as we talk about the new live-action remake of The Little Mermaid. Paul Acey has seen it, and we'll talk about what parents need to know about Disney's latest attempt to dust off a classic and give it the live-action treatment. Well, we've got a ton of ground to cover today, so with no further ado, let's dive into our first segment with Danny and Jonathan. Well, as I mentioned in our introduction, we've got Dr. Danny Huerta, Vice President of Focus on the Family Parenting with us today. Hey, Danny. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. And Jonathan McKee is here as well. Glad to be here. Well, today we are going to be talking about pornography. And, you know, as parents, a lot of things are vying for our attention. Screen time, social media might be the biggest felt need that we talk about and that we hear about as parents are trying to figure out what do we do with this. But another hugely important issue And one that I don't think we necessarily talk about as much these days because it can feel awkward or difficult is pornography. And unlike social media, uh, which is a relatively new thing, porn has been around a long time in various forms. And since the arrival of smartphones, especially, I think what has changed is the ease with which a young person can find it and they can find it. If they're looking for it, and sometimes it finds them. They, you know, you type one keystroke wrong into a web address, and boom, you know, you find yourself someplace that you don't want to be. Uh, And I think that's one of the reasons that Jonathan McKee often tells us not to let tweens and teens have phones in their bedroom with the door shut because it it makes it a lot harder for us as parents to have any idea of what they're looking at. So, I understand that this is a difficult issue to talk about, but it's also hugely important because pornography can have a huge impact on tweens and teens who are exposed or become addicted to it. Uh, And it's everywhere. Like if you do any sort of research on the most trafficked websites, I mean, there are multiple porn sites that are always, if not at the top of the list, very close Mm. to the top of the list. So we know from research that uh, it's a very popular thing and, and it's very easy to access. So um, let's dive in. Guys, I want to start with a really basic issue. Why is pornography so difficult to talk about with our kids? And, and what are the things that make this conversation feel really awkward to us? Why wouldn't it be awkward, right? Well, that's <laughs> Why right. Why would it not be hard to, right? to talk about this? Really, I, from my point of view, I see that 
uh, parents are grappling with, if I bring this up, will my child become more curious? What can mm-hmm. I bring up? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if I don't talk about it, then uh, I'm, maybe I'm not doing the right thing as a parent uh, to So it to feels be like a lose-lose, It's right? a lose-lose, right? Yeah. So yeah. it does feel awkward as you're going in, trying to figure out what, what do they know, what do they not know? Are they mm-hmm. viewing pornography? How much are they viewing? And so it is a, a wobbly entry point, for sure. Okay. Jonathan, anything to add here? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that I, I look back in the areas where I feel like where I could have done better, and I think, and I've said this before on this podcast, and this definitely goes with this issue as well, I think this is one of those areas where sometimes we err by focusing too much on the don'ts instead of the do's. And here's one of those opportunities where instead of trying to point out the lies, um, we should never hesitate to point out the truth. Mm-hmm. So in, with this particular issue, I, I think what that means is don't be scared of scriptures that deal with this, because scriptures that deal with this mm-hmm. talk about this directly. And I think some people will be like, oh, they get to that, you know, Proverbs 5 verse that, that use the word breasts, and it talks about that. We think, oh, well, let me steer my kids away from this. I don't think we ever need to steer our kids away from scripture. Mm-hmm. I think saying, hey, have you looked on this website? You know, have you uh, been searching for porn on the internet? And some kids might be like, well, I didn't know I could. You know, I mean, honestly, yeah. but if we're going through scripture, And scripture is talking about, hey, you know what? This is what marriage is supposed to look like. This is what sex and intimacy is supposed to look like. That's not going to really put ideas in their heads. That's going to put truth in their heads. We shouldn't be scared of truth. Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly right. And and as we're sitting here, Danny, I see you have your Bible open. And since we're talking about scripture, um, I would love to just, you know, hear maybe some of the thoughts you have on how scripture helps frame this conversation too. Yeah, I mean, it begins with Genesis. I yeah. mean, our sexuality was created before the fall of man. It was part of the creation story. We, we get to be co-creators. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the story. And what I love is the word let. That's been an mm. interesting one for me. And in the creation story, God says let. Mm. Let a, a, an abundance of things happen, right? Throughout those days and everything came alive and really let life come in. Hmm. And then when we look at the new self in Colossians 3, hmm. it talks about put on, yeah. and then it says let. Yeah. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It talks about the word let in there. And uh, a question I would, I would ask my son and my daughter, what is it that we let into our home? Hmm. What is it that you let come into your mind and your heart? Yeah. And that's huge, right? That word let, because there's a, there's, there's a decision-making that takes place there. And when you look at Genesis, when God created man and woman, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy mm. this gift I've given you. And that's part of the full story where there's no shame. There wasn't a consumer type of mindset in the person of consuming another person. Mm. There was a contribution to life that was brought in there. And pornography brings a counterfeit message on sexuality where you're consuming for yourself. Mm. And our sexuality, as we're teaching our kids, we can teach them about contributing to a relationship, Mm. uh, to the solidifying of a relationship, to bringing life, to co-creating with another person, and to serving each other through love Mm. in that that sexual relationship that includes conversation, intimacy, listening to each other. Yeah, it's a whole person thing. Right, it's a whole thing. It's a it's one way physically to show love to one another, but there's so much more to it, and we get to introduce our kids to that. Mm, I love that. And, and I would add, in talking about Genesis, we of all people have an understanding 
of what God created our sexuality for. Yes. Uh, and I would say, yes. broadly speaking, it does a couple of things. It's a reflection of being created in his image, that mm-hmm. male and female were created, and that when a man and a woman come together in marriage, it creates new life, and that's a reflection of being created in God's image too. So yes. part of the purpose is you know, the propagation of, of the species, that creation of new life, and that mm-hmm. together... A man and a woman, that in some ways is as close to being little G godlike right. as we're ever going to get. Um, mm. And that, you know, also in that, that Genesis passage, we get over and over and God saw that it was good. Mm-hmm. And this is in the context of, and then he created human beings and, and marriage and saw that it was very good, that our sexuality is a good and a beautiful and a life creating gift that reflects God's character in the right context, right? right? right. And we don't have to be afraid of that. Um, And I agree with Jonathan too, as opposed to, oh, don't look at that. Um, We can talk about even the goodness of it. And even when talking about the allure and the temptation of pornography, at its core, there's something good there, Mm -hmm. right? You know, God has designed us to be attracted to this, but the context is so hugely important. See, and, and God is the creator of everything. Right. He is the author, originator of things. Satan is the counterfeiter of yeah. things. He doesn't create anything. Yeah. He just counterfeits whatever God creates. He, he, he does not, he's not an original, right? He, yeah. he cannot do what God does. And God created sexuality. He created passion. He created uh, what, what we would call sexuality mm-hmm. between a male and female. And that encompasses everything that's enjoyed in that, including the passion side of things. And we need to be aware of that as parents and teach our kids, what does that mean? Because that comes natural, yeah. but there's a building that needs to take place around that. And that's where we come in as parents. Well, and it's, it's yeah. interesting to me that the second Adam and Eve fall, what do they do? They realize they were naked and yeah. they cover themselves up. And so again, from the very get-go, sin comes in. And one of the first areas that we can observe scripturally that is affected is our perception of our bodies and other people's bodies and sexuality and Mm -hmm. shame, right? The guilt and shame was something that manifested itself immediately, physically. And I want to lead that into our next question. And and Danny, you have, I don't know how many degrees in counseling you have, like (laughs) six or eight, I think. You have a whole bunch of- We won't spend much time. You have a lot of education, and and this is really a place where you spend a lot of time. And Jonathan, you have done many, many, many parenting conferences. So I know you both bring an expertise to this conversation from maybe slightly different perspectives. But how does pornography affect a developing adolescent, both in their brain, I mean, at the biological Mm -hmm. level, and then relationally and spiritually? Why is this such an important issue? There's so many things. And Jonathan, you want to tackle first since I've been talking? If not, <laughs> Well, it's interesting because, you know, obviously we've been talking a lot on the spiritual level. Let's talk about the physical level here. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting. Uh, some of us might remember when uh, a few years back, uh, Time Magazine had right on the cover porn. And it was fascinating because it was this huge issue on porn where they interviewed a bunch of young men. Basically, let's be honest, we live in a world where it's like, hey, do whatever feels right at the moment. You know, if yeah. it feels good, go for it. And here was uh, basically um, an article that was addressing, hey, why is it that a lot of young men are struggling in their sexual relationships and really come to find out 
it's porn that's causing these problems. That's I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. But one area, for example, was erectile dysfunction. Mm. They literally were finding that, you know, back in the like early 90s, only about 5% of men experienced erectile dysfunction at age 40. But studies in like 2013 and 14 uh, of like young men, you know, 26 years old, military men, this kind of stuff, uh, you know, 25 through 40 years old, found that about a third of them we're experiencing erectile dysfunction. And what this article talked about, and this is, you know, we're talking, you know, clinically here, is, hey, men used to not have problems performing sexually, and now they're having problems. Right. Like, I mean, it's a huge jump. This isn't a couple percentage. This is like a 20% jump where all of a sudden now something's wrong. It's like we weren't wired this way. And mm -hmm. it's like the only thing that Time Magazine didn't leap and say is like, hey, you know, it's like we weren't created to just look at as many images as possible and, and, you know, get as much of this as we can get. So it's fascinating when you look at some of that stuff, when you go, hey, maybe, maybe there's a better design of what sex and intimacy should look like. Yeah. So the team brain has tremendous vulnerabilities. They, the team brain's looking for risk. It's looking for novelty. Hmm. Uh, it's looking for connection a sense of, of worth, competence, belonging. And your doctorate is on brain stuff as it relates to... Well, clinical psychology, you know, a part of that was the, is the brain. The yeah. brain fascinates So you thought me. about this a great deal. Yes, yes. And the, with his brain. With, with his brain. brain. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's Thanks, hilarious. Jonathan. <laughs> uh, uh, so there, there are a lot of vulnerabilities because the team brain is designed to pursue, to, to go out there with passion and, and go after mm -hmm. things. And... Uh, the need for connection has this hormone called oxytocin. Mm -hmm. And when, when, a, when a person views, when a teenager views pornography, oxytocin goes through the roof. They are actually attaching to an image, to, to an illusion, and there, there's an attachment happening. So if they do that multiple times, it starts to get, lose its stickiness. Oxytocin has a hard time then knowing who, who are you wanting to attach to now. And so it gets confused, and it's, it's, it's difficult for a person to attach. Then... You look at dopamine. Dopamine is the, uh, as we know, neurotransmitter hormone that, that uh, helps a person have motivation, learn, mm -hmm. pursue things, and, uh, and, it's and a to enjoy things. It's a pleasure. pleasure. Yeah. It's released when we have pleasurable experiences of all kinds, Correct. Right? And we have a wallet of right. dopamine. And so that means wallet being metaphorical. Oh, I could have right? known this earlier. <laughs> That's right. Where's my so dopamine wallet? Throughout the day, we're using it up. And, and, and so it, gets, it, 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 it uh, gets juiced out by pornography. You have this dopamine just juicing around saying, hey, do whatever you just did. Do that again. And I like so that. So it creates the, <laughs> the addictive response okay. to the team brain then and what happens when the dopamine crashes when your wallet is empty because well, that, that you're sort of implying that can happen right yeah you, you lose you lose self-control you lose motivation but then it reboots itself in anticipation now of something whatever you uh looked at before that that caused the dopamine to go up now in anticipation it goes up before you even actually do it just like think about when you're going to go on a trip yep. your dopamine anticipation goes up you're already having pleasure planning for the trip you're on the trip it starts to go down when you finish the trip it you're you're, you're kind of depressed you're kind of down right. and that's what happens with uh with pornography a lot of people are bargaining at that point teenagers saying oh, i'll never do this again not going to do it because dopamine is at its lowest there's no motivation to do it anymore right and there's been a release and so then in anticipation it goes even higher than it was before and it gets stronger unless you say no. Hmm. And for many teens, they don't know that if they, if they say no for 15 minutes to 20, the dopamine surge wears out 
and the body absorbs it and says, okay, I guess we're not doing that this time. Hmm. But it still surges and it's overwhelming. And uh, teenagers want novelty. There's complete novelty. Every time you're going into a new page, there's a new thing, a new thing, a new hmm. thing. And I remember talking to my son. We were walking in the mall and uh, I knew Victoria's Secret was coming to our left. He was eight years old. Uh, there's a jewelry store to the right. We're walking along, and I said, hey, son, as we're walking up here to the store, just look to the right. Uh, don't look uh, to the left. And I just wanted to do a little test with my son, right? And sure enough, he was peeking. His eyes were wide open, trying to peek to the left to see what was there. And I saw him turn around real quickly. He didn't know I was watching him, and we passed it. And I said, hey, son, I, I noticed you looked over. And he said, yeah, Dad. I said, what did you feel? He said, I, I felt a lot of tinglys. I said, that's called attraction. That's a beautiful thing God created in us with purpose, on purpose, for certain timing. And, if, and, and I want to explain it to you. This opens up our great conversation between you and I. What do you think you were responding to when you looked at the picture of that woman? Yeah. And he said, well, she was pretty. And I said, what are they trying to do? Well, they're selling something, right? He said, yeah, underwear. <laughs> and, um, and so I said, I, I said, well, they're using that woman to sell underwear to get money. That creates a consumer mindset. That's a woman hmm. that was born, that's a child of God, and, and is being placed in the wrong place. Hmm. And I want, I want you to understand that attraction can take you a wrong direction, hmm. and it can take you a real positive direction. It's not bad. And now we get to talk about sexuality. Hmm. It opened up that door. And uh, we've had great conversations about what happens in his brain and this risk-taking and and his need for attachment, his need to have a sense of worth, and pornography has been designed to feel as if that person is doing it for you, mm. and that you're connecting when you're really not at all. You're really not at all. And, and I just want to add, um, without being too revelatory here, you know, I had exposure to pornography when I was really young. And then again, in junior high and high school, multiple friends had access to it. And it was, what was different back then was that it was finite. You know, somebody got a hold of their dad's magazine and, yeah. you know, shared it around or whatever. But I remember that one of the consequences for me was a relational one. And it was, it's just like Adam and Eve in the garden. I inherently, without anybody teaching me, I knew that there was something about looking at this that was not the way it was supposed to be. It was forbidden fruit. I mean, literally, again, back to the garden and the phrase that we use yeah. to describe it. And the result of that was not just guilt. And, and it's been said, guilt is I did a bad thing and shame is I am a bad thing. You right. know, it's not even about behavior. It's about your sense of identity and how you see and understand yourself. And I found that the more I had exposure to it, the more I had that overwhelming sense of shame and the shame does two things. It's relationally isolating because you don't want to talk about it. You, know, mm -hmm. you certainly don't want to talk to your parents about it, but that isolation just reinforces the vulnerability, mm -hmm. you know, and, and when the temptation comes around, even if we've made the vow not to go there again, it's so easy to say, well, you know, next time I'll mm -hmm. try harder. Right. And yeah. then you just perpetuate that shame cycle. And so there are things happening biologically and then there are things that are happening spiritually and relationally that I think are incredibly destructive. And again, mm -hmm. I speak from my own personal experience as a teen who 
who wasn't protected and who had that exposure. Um, and I'd love for you guys to, to speak to, you know, some of those dynamics. Well, it's interesting you said, you know, not protected because that's one of the things I think a lot of parents at my workshops, they'll walk up, they've got their phone. They're like, how do I make this safe? You know, so right. that my kids <laughs> Well, let's talk about it. that too. Yeah. yeah. And one thing that's hard is, in all honesty, I mean, I don't want to drop a bomb here, but if, you know, you look at your phone and say, how do you make it safe? Uh, you can't make it 100% safe. You can't. I'm just telling you right now. I mean, you, you can go and you can buy a bunch of different, you know, programs that try to block out the bad stuff and you could do all these different things. Taking the battery. And, and in, you know, right. Yeah. Taking I the mean, and, but don't, if you don't let give your, them a phone. <laughs> yeah. But if you let your kids out of the house, which I recommend, um, then, uh, you know, chances are their friend could walk up to them and be like, hey, check this out on their device, you know? And unless you have Mm -hmm. a a drone flying above your kid's head that zaps all their friends with lasers. You don't have that, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Focus on the family, sell them. (laughs) Um, But uh, it's one of those things where, you know, wow, we need to equip our kids how to make these decisions on their own. And and Danny hit on it when he said, hey, let's start talking about this. I, I think a lot of Parents are scared and they think, well, my kids aren't aren't thinking about this. Barna came out with a study just a handful of years ago where he was looking at how many young people look at pornography. And for young men ages 13 through 24, non-practicing Christians, uh, 72% go to, they literally seek out porn at least once or twice a month. 72%. And the other 28% are lying. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but, but yeah. I mean, seeking it out. No, that's not how many have seen it or whatever. These are pretty good numbers. He asked uh, believers, people that, and Barna's got a really good kind of gauge on, okay, what, what, what's a believer mean? You know, it's not just like I went to church once or whatever, but of believers, practicing Christians, he calls them, males age 13 to 24, uh, 41% seek out porn once or twice a month. This is affecting a lot of young people. And and for us as parents, I think we need to not be scared of these conversations. And again, it's not these shame conversations of just don't do the naughty thing, but but opening up the scripture. I, when we're going through the passage in you know Genesis, to not be scared of it. When we get to that passage in Proverbs, what a beautiful passage. I've seen people literally run from that passage and be scared. Um, passages in the New Testament that use the word flee, um, the second Timothy two twenty two and first Corinthians six, you know, what's flee mean talking to our kids about that? What's that look like? What a great segue to talking about, Hey, is having our device in our bedroom at night by our bedside at 10 30, is that fleeing? You know, yeah. <laughs> what does fleeing look like? And so that they're making the decision of, Hey, you know what? Maybe I don't want that temptation there. Maybe that'll help me get through that 15 to 20 minutes, you know? when I'm not sitting there thinking about and having to do it. Jonathan, I think a key word that you've used uh, several times is the shame, not going to the place of shame. And Adam, you yeah. mentioned that as well. If teens can understand that, they're, that what's happening in their brain, that their brain has a hard time analyzing the moment and thinking about the consequences that could happen, it's the brain's designed to want whatever's there now mm. and think about the consequences later. Think about a child that has ADHD on top of that, where there's even less thought of that. There's impulsivity. Or a person that's anxious, and this is a, a place where they go to, to satisfy that or, or a mood disorder. We want to enter with compassion and with guidance, yeah. with listening first, loving the person, knowing that behaviors are only a very small portion of the story. The behavior is some way to adapt to whatever is happening. Hmm. Something has popped up. Maybe there's an anxiety, maybe there's overwhelming stress, something, 
is causing the choice in the moment to go to that. Hmm. And we want to let our kids know you're being deceived. Hmm. And I love you. I don't want you to go here because it's going to destroy you. Yeah. I'm not going to let you do that with anything. Yeah. Much less this. This is going to destroy not only you, but your relationships, your relational being, your ability to to attach to another person. And what I've had young men do is look at their 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 mood afterwards. How do they treat people? And 100% of the time they'll say, I'm not honest with people. I'm more mm-hmm. angry, I'm more disconnected. I don't care about many things. I get more depressed and more anxious down the road. In the moment, hmm. it satisfies things because of the biochemical response. Right. But in the soul and the relational being, it is completely damaged and ravaged as they go through that. Physiologically, they feel better. Relationally. For a moment. For a moment. Yeah, for a brief moment. And, and then they see the effects of what that left relationally inside of them, their soul, their mind, their emotions. And, uh, and yet they go back to that pattern because of this vulnerability in the, in, in the teen brain that, uh, that the part that's analyzing and trying to make decisions based on calculating things and looking at long-term consequences is still very much underdeveloped. Yeah. And so going in and not shaming them, saying, how could you do this? Mm-hmm. You're, what are you doing? You're ruining everything. And saying, hey, let's understand what's happening here. And let's look at how this is changing you from the inside out. Yeah. And let's expose that. Yeah, one of the things that I've tried to do with, especially with my son, I've talked about this less with my daughters. My wife has carried a little more weight in that area is I've tried to create an open door policy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, I don't want you to make bad decisions or decisions that, you know, you know at some level are are not a healthy decision. But if you do, I want you to be able to come and talk to me. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I've done that in some ways creates a little bit of distance and maybe gives an entryway to conversation instead of saying, Hey, have you looked at pornography? You know, if they haven't, it plants the suggestion that maybe they should. And if they have, you know, they can immediately be on the defensive. I've couched it in terms of the old, you know, I have a friend, right? You know, is this something that, <laughs> yeah. that your friends are wrestling with? Yeah. And good. that also it's enables good. me to get a sense of, you know, what is happening with the peer group, you know, and and their influence and, and to try to gauge, am I getting a straight answer here? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and creating that context of, you know, there's freedom to talk about this. And just as an aside, I was talking with my son the other day about this and he said, well, you know, my friends aren't really into pornography, but, but one of them has started doing drugs <laughs> and and we had a conversation That's about right. that, yeah. you know, and, good conversation. and, uh, it turns out his parents smoked marijuana and he was smoking marijuana too, because mm-hmm. he knew that his parents were doing it. And I think it, it does point to the importance of parental example and, you know, just engagement. And I think for me, not to throw my parents or my dad, especially under the bus, although maybe a, a teensy bit here, I wish when I was 10 or 11, my my dad would have just said, you know, this is out there. You're probably going to get exposed mm-hmm. to it. Here is why this can be something that's really destructive for you and that I would like you to to try to say no to that and mm-hmm. to talk to me about it. Like, even just a little bit of encouragement in that area, I don't know that it would have made it, you know, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're mm-hmm. trying to revisit the past, but I think 
opening the door in that way that as we've been talking about, it doesn't create shame or guilt or hiddenness, but hey, we're going to talk about this. And as we've talked about, especially in context with the whole ongoing LGBT thing in our culture, man, our culture is having a conversation about sexuality 24-7. And even if we have good boundaries in our home, and Jonathan, you mentioned this, most other families may not. And so the, mm-hmm. the odds of your kid getting exposed to something, even if they don't have a phone or they have filters on it, we still have to coach them on how do we deal with our friends well, too. Well, and a good, and, and a good, you just used the word expose and Danny used the word expose and he used it in, in different ways. You said they're exposed to these other messages. You said, uh, Adam, Danny said, we need to expose them to the truth. And, and that's exactly what we need to do. This isn't scare tactics. This isn't, uh, you know, uh, shaming. This is just giving them good information because they're filled in a world full of misinformation. You know, they're, they're, they're filled with watching, you know, listening to songs, which are like, Hey, I felt like doing it and I did it. And it's so great. Look at the music video. They're all having a great time, you know, or a TV show where when they mention porn, it's, it's something it's laughable or jokeable. And, and when we, you know, run across a study, uh, you know, I, I wrote a book to guys about about these four battles they face and one of them being sexual temptation. And, and I just shared all kinds of truths in there. And I remember sharing this one study that was this like longitudinal study that went over literally the first two decades in the, in the 2000s. And it surveyed over 2,000 married people. And they found that overall, the chance of divorce doubled for mm. both men and women who started using porn after getting married. Doubled. I mean, that's huge. And just to expose it, hey, guess what? Think about this for a second. You know, if you're married and you're having this intimate relationship with one one person, but yet you're like, hey, hold on for a second, babe. I'm going to go look at some of this over here as well. And and you shouldn't be bummed by that. Well, Well, you know, you could argue about the philosophy of that, but in all honesty, twice the amount of people that do that are getting divorced. So, I mean, it's it's just something to think about. And when we provide our kids with good information from scripture, from studies like this, talking with them about this, it's a conversation that's good to have. Love that. I feel like this is a, you know, a conversation where we're just sort of touching on the surface of this, but we, uh, we need to uh, wrap things up here today. Danny, any final thoughts here um, as we close out this conversation? Yeah, just remember you're invited into something pretty amazing to guide your kids, to step into these conversations. Remind your kids that just because something's normal doesn't make it good. There are a lot of things being normalized in culture. Help them see those things that are being normalized and mm, what is right that. and what's wrong. Go into that conversation, and if you're a parent that feels shame from your past, you can become the most amazing teacher if you let go of that shame. Mm. You need to put that aside and see what's in front of you. You're invited into a conversation where you can say, I was duped, but now I see the truth. Mm. I would do things differently. Now, knowing now what I know now, and I want to teach you all about it. Love that. Love that. Well, I hope that as you have listened today, there have been some touch points for you personally as a parent, as a grandparent, you know, maybe you're a young adult, maybe you're a teen listening today. This is a hugely important conversation. And I would encourage you, no matter where you're at along that age and stage journey, uh, to just identify the people that you can talk with and be honest about. And as parents, even though this is an awkward one and, and it can be a hard thing to talk about initially, I would encourage you to step into that conversation. And I've found that as as we cultivate that conversation, 
it actually gets easier. It's a little bit less weird because it's like, you know what? This is something we care about. This is hugely important for you. We're going to keep talking about it. And also you can find some resources from our Focus on the Family parenting page that we will have in the episode notes for today's show. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Well, in our second segment today, we shall do something, well, as Monty Python would say, completely different. (laughs) I hope our first conversation about pornography was helpful to you and your family. And now we're going to talk about The Little Mermaid and our very own Paul AC has seen it. Now, the lead up to The Little Mermaid has been like everything Disney related these days, full of controversy, you know? Are they going <laughs> to are they going to wreck this thing? Is the live action thing really working? There's lots of questions. So, I want to talk about this maybe on a couple of levels. I want to sure. talk about it from a very basic level. What parents can expect content-wise, but also kind of how it holds up because I think Anytime you try to redo something that, you know, holds a, a beloved place in people's heart, there's risk, right? And oh, I yeah. think it feels like more often than not lately, people have been more critical of Disney than sort of embracing it as an awesome new iteration. So yeah. I am waiting on bated breath, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> baited like on a hook. I'll stop now. Go ahead, Paul. Tell us about The Little Mermaid. So The Little Mermaid, for, for anybody who's lived in a cave for the last 50 years, The Little Mermaid <laughs> was originally an animated movie released in the very late 1980s. It was really the beginning of the Disney renaissance, the right? Disney renaissance. The Disney renaissance. In a world. Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King came right after The Little Mermaid, but The Little Mermaid was first. Uh, it, there is a huge risk in taking something that has become such a beloved movie for so many people and translating it into a live action formula and for today's audience. The thing that struck me the most as I was watching it is how little they changed it. Okay. There were many, many scenes that felt almost like complete remakes of the animated version. Okay. Right? So kind of like what they did with Beauty and the Beast, which was kind of a scene-for-scene remake, as opposed to Cinderella, which was kind of a reimagining. Closer to the latter. Yeah, yeah. It really is like that. And maybe that's one of the lessons that we can draw from this, right? Is the newer the movie is, the more they feel like they have to do stuff with it. Okay. So this movie really feels like it has the the same spirit, almost the same dialogue as the original 1988-89 version as well. And it's just done in a live action format. Um, they add some new songs. They do do some tweaks to make it a little bit more 21st century, I would say. Okay. Now, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I know that's been one of the, the points of controversy recently. I mean, just even the last few weeks, I've been hearing about that. Yeah, there there are some elements. They're, they're really tweaks as far as I'm concerned. You don't see a lot of it. But for instance... In the famous song, Kiss the Girl, mm-hmm. right? You have, uh, there's there's probably this sense that today you don't really want guys just reaching over and kissing girls without some sort of, you know. Consent. Consent. So they, they sort of moosh around with that a little with bit. With the lyrics, right? A little bit with the lyrics. They do it with the, with the actual plotting. Apparently, Ursula has cast this spell on Ariel, the little mermaid of the title, uh, that she forgets that she needs to get the prince to kiss her in three days. Okay. She totally forgets. So that's the reason why the song is completely directed at Prince Eric, because Prince Eric has to, because of Ursula's spell, has to be the quote-unquote aggressor. Okay. 
So were there any other changes to the core story that stood out to you? It doesn't sound like they have messed with it too much. They really haven't. There, there's one scene at the very end that along those same lines, I don't want to spoil anything. So there's a scene at the end that sort of goes along that way. It, it makes this a little bit less of the traditional uh, Prince Charming saving the princess type of right. story and it becomes sort of more equal footing. But for the most part, this really does stick to the script and it is a true love story. This is still the romance that we remember from the original Little Mermaid. The kiss is still important. True love is still important. Uh, songs. This, songs are still also songs. very important. There is a lot of singing. There is a lot of singing in here. Um, yeah, so for people who are really worried that they're going to completely tear apart the story and create a, a totally different one, that does not happen here. Well, I know one of the issues here has been, you know, diversifying the cast. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know that we need to say too much about that other than to say some have not liked that, while others have felt like, you know, diversifying that cast really opens the door perhaps for people who didn't see themselves in the first movie to identify with characters here. Did you have any sense of that as you were watching it, Paul? The cast was definitely diverse. Uh, and I personally liked that diversity. Okay. Um, and especially when we're talking about the context of this particular story, right? This is this is a fantasy story. This takes place on an island that, while rooted in the real world... Is actually not real. Is actually not real. And so <laughs> it allows you to do... And you're talking about mermaids that also, also do not exist. as far as we know, are not real. <laughs> so, Unless they're hanging out with Bigfoot, which part of me, you know, I'm still hoping. <laughs> so when, when you're talking about this diversification, it doesn't damage the original story at all. I think it does enhance it. It gives this intercultural type of atmosphere that I think is... It actually benefits the story in a lot of ways for me. Okay. Well, one of the questions I have have as a parent is there's a difference between portraying a mermaid, which, you know, traditionally mermaids are a, a little bit scantily clad sure. in an animated story as opposed to live action. And so maybe that's a good lead into, is there content here that parents need to be aware of that might feel more surprising or more problematic in a, a live action setting than it was when it was animated? You know, I think that's a perfect place to actually put a period on that because because it is live action, because it doesn't differ that much from the cartoon, there is a little bit more sensuality. Okay. Now, actually, they actually dialed back some of the, the outfits. Like, okay. like Ariel is dressed slightly more modestly than she was before. But because we're talking about real people, it does strike you differently. You know, yeah. you see belly buttons, you see shoulders, you see, you know, some of those elements are in this story. None of it is gratuitous. All of it fits what we saw in the original movie. But because it is live action, it strikes you a little bit differently. So it doesn't sound like there are any big facepalm, agenda-oriented issues that parents are going to walk out of saying, oh, I can't believe they did that with this story that I love. Is that fair? I believe that's I'm, fair. I'm from, putting words in your you mouth, You are of putting course. words in my mouth, but I would say that that is what I took from this. This is very true to the original. There will be, as you know, uh, people get very upset about a lot of different things, yes. right? Hashtag the internet. <laughs> So obviously you want to read our review before you go to see this, because if it touches on a sensitive point for you or your family, you'll want to be aware of it. But for me, if you're familiar with the original Little Mermaid, you're not going to find a lot of surprises here. Okay. 
Well, Paul, thank you for seeing this on behalf of Plugged In and seeing it. Get it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that almost sailed over my head. Oh, wow. Wow. You see what I have to put up with every (laughs) single day. Paul is the king of puns. And as always, if you want to know more about this one, you can go to PluggedIn.com and check out our full review. Well, now it's time for a segment of the show we call Pop Culture Connection. And we're joined by our producer, Ashley. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Adam. And Ashley will set us up, you know, kind of like bump, set, spike, and volleyball, hopefully to (laughs) to display our vast wealth of pop culture knowledge as fastly as we can. Fastly. 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 Not a word. I like it. Fastly and furiously. Well Well said, Adam. We will each have 30 short seconds to answer Ashley's question with as many things as possible. And the name of the game here is not quality, people. It's not one point developed like you were an English major in college, like Which I, I was. was and Paul was. No, it's about speed. That's and right. uh, it's Jonathan, about fastly. Quantity. It's fast about being, moving as fastly as possible. So, with no further fastly. ado, All Ashley, right. take it away. Paul, you're up first. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. boy. Terrifying. Yes. Okay. Uh, Aside a- from the Bible, what do you think is the best book of all time and why? Oh, man, you know what? I'm going to go with Paradise Lost um, because wow. I believe that Paradise Lost, it, it's by John Milton. It was done during Shakespeare's time. The, the language is beautiful. You come to it every single time you read it. You read something new into it. A lot of people find uh, that Satan is actually a little bit too attractive in this, but the last time I read it, it felt like a really poignant story of of what the Bible says. That was one mm. good point. You think so? I got more than one. <laughs> so I, no, I counted no, see, six. Paul, Paul is great at depth. <laughs> I just I wanted to fastly. talk for another I, 10 I always minutes. want depth. I did not know <laughs> that the English major setup here would be so immediately <laughs> apropos because <laughs> no. I'm going to tell you something for real. I, and I'm not making this up. I made a big exclaimed facial expression when you said Paradise Lost, because when yeah, you, you asked the question, the first thing that popped in my mind was Paradise Lost really? by John Milton. Wow. I am not kidding. Interesting. Yeah. Fortunate fall, right? I mean, his whole point was the fall was a good thing because it enabled God to display his grace and goodness and wow. redeem humanity. And I, I think you said it sounds like you've read it multiple times, mm-hmm. which... Hmm. Kind of blows me away because I'm pretty sure I read it in college and I have it sitting on my bookshelf at home. So it makes me look smart when people come over, but I <laughs> I have not read it since. Well, so. the thing is, it's so hard to read, right? So yeah. when I read it, when I read it in college, I wasn't sure if I got it all. So I read it and then I read it again and then I read it again. And every time you read it, this is the thing about great literature is that you get something more deeper out of it every single time. More deeply? More yes. deeply. Wow. <laughs> All right, I Jonathan. Read, I read half of it. <laughs> Jonathan, do you prefer an action flick or a romantic comedy and why? I prefer a romantic comedy because I'm always sitting next to my wife and <laughs> that makes her happy, happy wife, happy life. Uh, I like laughing uh, whenever I drink a, a romantic comedy and it always feels much better than an action flick. Uh, it's something I'm not embarrassed to talk about a plugged in show like a Steven Seagal <laughs> film. Um, it also, uh, you know, it goes better with popcorn. Something about butter and comedy. I don't know what it is. Uh, when I'm drinking my Diet Coke, there's um, something about 
about Jonathan, uh, romantic comedy versus I, action because action the coke time is, is splashing up, around. Time is and, up. Uh, You're done, and, and I just want to point out there was a lot of drinking in your answer, which drinking it in, drinking diet coke. That's right. There is. It's kind of that's, funny. That's, I didn't know true. where you were where you were going with that first one. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I I am going to uh, you know, uh, see. Z A uh, Coke Zero Anonymous. Um, so <laughs> that's awesome. That's Very awesome. good. All right. Well, I got six points, so you and Paul are tied. Wow. Very nice. The bar is high. All right. All right. I, I can it's only hope you. it's a Star Wars question. I think you can get this. All right, Millennium Falcon. <laughs> Adam. Yes. Which do you prefer, TV or movies, and why? Oh, I'm a movie person. I like to have closure. I don't have time to commit to an entire series. I like the arc of a movie that, you know, it begins, it ends, well, unless it's like Star Wars or something, and then it's going to be more. See, we had to get Star Wars in there. Of course. Um, My attention span is just not that long these days. I typically see movies these days with my wife, and, uh, you know, I just, I like going to movies. I still like movies, and the big chairs these days, I'm old enough now, if the movie's (laughs) terrible, I just go to sleep, especially the ones that have the seat warmers, Uh right? We have a three-way tie, Ashley. I know. Uh, Right? (laughs) Yes. I Man. feel like that was at least seven. You all seven. are winners. I Let's feel. just go that way. We are oh, all winners. Okay. <laughs> We're all winners. Okay, we will go. But Paul with... wins on depth again. Yes, I agree. Paul right. always I wins agree. on depth. That's so. right. Oh, he, does. Yeah. he does. Let's be honest. I know. And, <laughs> oh my god. And I'm always there to look for a Star Wars connection. So mm, I mean, yeah, you could try. You I moved try. through my answer as fastly as possible. Well, <laughs> Ashley. Thank you for moving us through that segment. Of course. Perhaps not as fastly as possible, but <laughs> but hopefully uh, enjoyably for Anything everyone listening. Anything but fast. Maybe not within fastly, 12 not furiously. Oh, 12 parsecs. I just suddenly very nice. I feel like making the Kessel run right now. Or maybe the Kessel <laughs> run to, you know, my favorite coffee shop or something. Uh, I'll not drop a brand name in here because we wouldn't want that. That's right. (laughs) Well, thanks again for taking some time to join us today. We've had two pretty different conversations, one about pornography and one about the remake of The Little Mermaid. And if you have thoughts about either of those segments, we would love to hear from you. And we would love for you to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. That helps people know what the Plugged In show is is all about. So leave a review. Tell people what you think about it. And you can always find us on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. But we're also excited to remind you we've got two relatively new ways that you can connect with us as well. At thepluggedinshow.com, you can actually leave us a voicemail. And, you know, it's a message we might even use on the show. Just look for the vertical voicemail tab on the right side of the page. And, but wait, there's more. (laughs) Each Monday at 3 p.m. Mountain Time, we are live on Instagram for The Plugged In Show Aftercast. Each week, we will recap comments related to the last episode and preview the new episode coming up each week, and we'll also talk about what happened at the movie box office the previous weekend. Be sure to follow us and turn on notifications so that you'll get a reminder when we go live on Instagram at Plugged In Team each week. You won't want to miss it. Uh, Paul and I especially have been having a lot of fun the last few weeks, maybe even too much fun. Maybe even too much fun. Maybe too fun. much fun. Yeah. Uh, and in, in future weeks, we'll have different members of the Plugged In team on so we can we can share the fun with yeah, each other and with y'all. It's just like sitting down with us and having a cup of coffee and getting a little silly every once in a while. That's right. That's right. Just like we do here, but, you know, without editing. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> if that doesn't make you want to tune in, I don't know what will. Well, I'd also like to remind you that Plugged In is part of the ministry of Focus on the Family. We are here to help you navigate the crazy world of media and entertainment for your children, for your grandchildren, for your family. And we would love for you to be a part of that family with us. And we can't do it without your financial support. So when you donate to Focus on the Family today, a gift of any amount, we will send you a copy of Dr. Danny Huerta's book, Seven Traits of Effective Parenting. And we would love for you to get your copy today. And you can find out more about that in the episode notes for today's show. Well, thanks again for spending some time with us at the Plugged In Show this week. We know you have a lot of different ways that you could choose to spend your time. And we're honored that you've chosen to spend some of that time with us this week. As always, we look forward to another conversation next week on The Plugged In Show. As a parent, it's easy to find myself sitting backseat to my kids in the back seat. It's tough to be a step ahead. In full honesty, I'm pretty hard on myself when that happens. But I've found Practice Makes Parent, a podcast from Focus on the Family, hosted by Dr. Danny Huerta and Rebecca St. James. It helps me be more intentional and not feel alone when things get tough. Everything they share is practical and well-practiced, and I can use it right away. Listen to Practice Makes Parent wherever you get your podcasts.